Good morning. Well, that was enthusiastic. Yeah, I think they heard you back in the family room. Thank you for coming this morning, those of you here up front, for those of you in the family room. Uh, great to see you. And um, for those who may be tuning in live stream, thank you for doing that. It's great to be here this morning. As Paul mentioned, we're on a COVID furlough. So we weren't planning to be in the States right now. Uh, we work in Europe, and most of our work is in Greece, but there are other countries that we also work in, and we have a base in Italy that allows us to travel around. So we don't know how long we'll be here at this point. It's, you still can't fly into Europe, um, but we are in a ministry of visiting our supporters and our supporting churches, and uh, it's just wonderful to have this opportunity to be here this morning. Um, and so if you'd like, us to, like to talk to us after the service, we'll put our masks on and we'll be out front there. Um, Paul, you're a great reader. Oh my word, you should read, like do they ask you to read on the radio or anything? You, you've got a face for radio, brother. It's just, yeah. No, really, he's a great reader. And I, I felt like I was hearing this story for the first time or afresh. Anyway, thank you for doing that. And I love the line, um, the man, after he's healed, he begged Jesus that he could be with him. And that's why you're here this morning, to be with Jesus. And uh, so I'm excited about looking at this story about Jesus. It's an unusual story. Uh, in fact, can, can I be honest with you this morning? Would anybody raise their hand and say, no, you can't do that this morning. Can I be honest with you this morning? I love the stories of Jesus, but this is one story I've never liked. I, I love the story about how the people sat on the grass and overlooked the lake and Jesus talked to them. Uh, and this is a story that happens uh, there uh, at the lake, uh, healing the deaf girl, uh, the children gathering on Jesus' knee. Those are all such beautiful stories. And the Gospels are full of beautiful story after beautiful story. And then there's this one about pigs and screaming maniacs, and just a lot of stuff in here. And uh, this story, though, is very important because it's building, Mark is building a case. He wants to drive us to uh, this next uh, slide, I think is coming up. Yeah, this right here. Mark chapter 8 is the pinnacle of the story that Mark is developing. And everything that happens before Mark 8 is leading up to this, who is Jesus statement. So story after story is, is molding different facets of who Jesus is. And Mark particularly wants us to get the message of two, two notes that he's beating constantly through the go the, his gospel, that Jesus is a person of authority, of great authority, and that he has great mercy. And the story that precedes this, this, this is just a chain of stories that are coming along. The, the, our story today actually starts in 435 when Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. And then your eyes will let you see, if you look at the text, it's that famous story about the big storm that they had as they crossed Galilee. And even the fishermen thought, we're going to drown. And Jesus rises up and said, peace be still. And it was still. And the result of that event was the disciples all said, who is this? Who is this? 
So every story is answering the question, who is, until they finally get up to Caesarea Philippi and Jesus wants to have the discussion, okay, boys, what do you think? What do, who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Well, the story happens um, around the Sea of Galilee. Now, I want to thank uh, Hal and Nancy for bringing this chair. They were very kind to us. We were COVID refugees here in the United States, and uh, I had to do some work in Florida, and they took my refugee wife in uh, at the peak of uh, March and April there. And uh, so I thank you for that. And they have this wonderful little chair in their living room. And I thought it was so beautiful. I don't know where the camera is and what we're looking at. But uh, this is a harp like David's harp. And that really got my attention. But why is it important to this story? Because today the Sea of Galilee is called Kinneret for Kinnor. And that's because it's shaped like this. Just like a harp. Don't worry, I don't think I'll drop it. Uh, it's shaped like an upside down harp. And all of Jesus' ministry happens here at the top at Capernaum and all these villages. And then Jesus says, let's go to the other side. So they cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, that's not just a geographical reference. Let's go to the other side. The Holy Land was divided up into Roman provinces in that day. And on the, Rome, uh, on the side that they were about to head to was a side that no good Jew would ever go to. This was the area of the Decapolis, the ten cities that Alexander the Great had founded as he wanted to conquer that land, and he brought Greek people into that area. So these were Greeks over there. Think pagans if you're a good Jew. And Jesus wants to take them over to that region. So what are the things that I, that, I, that, I, that I don't like about this story? Well, I don't like that there was a guy in chains. I wouldn't want to be in chains. I don't think you would either. And in his supernatural strength and his terrible sorrow, he has the power to rip these chains apart. So it's very likely that on the day that Jesus went over to meet him, he still had pieces of those fetters around his arms or around his legs. And no one, literally, the text says, could tame him like you would tame a horse. I don't like stories about demons. There's a growing interest today, if you follow the movies and the television, a growing interest in the supernatural and the dark side of the supernatural. You know, that doesn't attract me. I, I don't want to go see a movie about exorcism. I, I, that's just never been interesting to me. And as I read the gospel, there are so many stories about demons. And I stopped and thought one day, why, why is that? Why, like, we don't get down to Weiss and see demon-possessed people. Why were there so many demon-possessed people in that time and in that place? Well, just think for a moment about Satan looking at the Son of God, looking at the Most High, who's been all this time for eternity on his throne, surrounded by the cherubim, fully protected and fully powerful. And suddenly he's born in a human body. If there's ever a chance to get Jesus, this is it, Right? If there's ever a chance where Jesus might be weak and vulnerable, it's when he's clothed in human flesh. And so Satan brings all of his demons there to the Holy Land to try to oppose the ministry of Christ. 
It talks about legions. A legion of demons. Not only is there just like one demon, or t- there are thousands of demons in this man. A legion, a legion was the largest um, group of Roman soldiers. So, you know, you had a centurion was a, a, a hundred, a group of a hundred men. You had a centurion over them. And as I, I won't explain all that, mostly because I don't remember, but uh, the battalion, the biggest battalion was the legion. Maybe five, six thousand men. Of course, as they're fighting in battle, they lose numbers. So the numbers fluctuate. And it was re- overseen by a senator, a Roman senator. And so the demons were there in a show of force against the Son of God. The man was naked. I don't like stories about naked men. Just being honest, right? And here it is in our Bible. Uh, He was insane. I grew up on the King's Bible, right? The King James Bible. The maniac of Gadara. I can remember as a little kid. I never even understood what that meant. What is the maniac of Gadara? He's an insane man. He's a crazy man. And he's living in tombs. I don't find that particularly attractive. These were caves where they would put the bodies in for the first year to let the flesh rot off of them until they were just bones. That's not attractive to me. And that's where he was sheltering himself in these caves rising up out of Galilee. He howled and he shrieked in his painful sorrow. Was he crying out to God? Was that the reason he went over there? He cut himself. That's not a particularly attractive feature in a story. Self-harm. It's a sad thing. It's the sign of a, of, 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 of a darkness and a disturbance that someone's carrying. So this man was either bleeding or at least scarred when he came up to Jesus. Uh, pigs. I, I'm not a special fan of pigs. I mean, I could go either way, I suppose, on pigs. If you love pigs, uh, you, you, you might hate this story because all the pigs are dying. Or maybe you think it's a good waste of bacon, this story. Um, as I mentioned, this is a Greek, Greek area, Greek town, Greek t- towns around. This has happened in the sun- countryside. There's Greeks all around. And even to, the, to this day, the Greeks love pork. And they loved eating pork. So this is not a Jewish city where, where they were kosher and wouldn't, wouldn't have anything to do with, with pigs. They're eating pork. If you go to Greece, you needed to eat the good yidos and the good souvlakis. And that was one of the first words we learned how to say was hirino, uh, how to say pork. Give me a good pork yido. And they're delicious. And there was a Roman bastion there in that area that housed a legion of Roman soldiers. And those uh, pigs were probably being raised to feed those soldiers. And they're probably also being used in the pagan worship of Pan. Uh, if you, if, I, I encourage you in, in the front uh, of the auditorium, you can pick this up if you haven't already, a sort of uh, sheet of notes. Now, um, I usually put blanks in my notes, and I'm sorry I didn't give the right copy, so it doesn't have, for you kinetic learners who learn by doing, I'm sorry that I don't have blanks that you can fill in. And on the other side, you have a map of the lake, it kind of shows you where they were and how they crossed over. And then what I, what I really want to draw your attention to, you can read this now and just kind of turn me off. That's fine. Or read it this afternoon. All, this passage is full of cross-cultural terms. 
This is probably the most cross-cultural story in all of uh, the Bible. And uh, it talks about these pigs that were being raised um, in, in the worship of the Greek gods there, particularly Hades, the god of the underworld. Um, I, you know, not just pigs, 2,000 dead pigs. Uh, the people's reaction, I don't like that. How do the people react? Go away, Jesus. Go away, Jesus. I don't like that part of the story. Um, and then the big question mark at the end of the story. This man begs Jesus, Jesus, can I come with you? Jesus, can I be with you? And Jesus says the most shocking thing of all. He says, no. I mean, you'd think Jesus would say something like, you know, yes, take up your chains and follow me, or something like that. And he says, no, don't follow me. Where's gentle Jesus, meek and mild? He just ghosted him. Uh, this man wants to leave all and follow Jesus, and isn't that exactly what Jesus is looking for? People who will leave all and follow him. So I have a lot of details that I have to process in this story. And... Uh, if we don't understand this story, if we don't have kind of the negative reaction to the details of this story, we're not really understanding it. And so it's good to think that there's a lot of negative stuff happening in this passage. But let me tell you, there's a lot of things I don't like about this story, but I love this story. I really love this story. Um, Kind of think of it this way. Jesus is asking his guys, his disciples, to cross Galilee and to go to the other side where the pagans are and they're about to meet a demon-filled man. It's very hard for us to picture what that might feel like, but picture if uh, Pastor Paul this morning says after the service, and uh, this week we're going to go down to Harrisburg. There's an LGBT rally down there. Who would like to join me in going down there, and we're just going to see how many people we can help? That would be kind of hard, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would put us out of our comfort zone. This is what Jesus is asking them to do. Almost everything about this story is distasteful. Jesus is getting his disciple into a big mess. These Jewish men are thinking, man, this is no place for a good kosher boy like me. Thomas is saying, I doubt anything good is going to come out of this. But it's a wonderful story about a person who is truly, truly transformed by Jesus. We didn't, I didn't advance the slide, and I apologize for that. So I'm going to do that real quick. Um, this is kind of where the story happens. The slopes go right down into the uh, Sea of Galilee. And uh, his ministry is over here on the west, the northwest side. And they cross. They have this terrible storm. And then they come down here. This is on the west side looking over at these high I think you can see them from where you're sitting, these high, high cliffs. So the story doesn't happen in a town. It just happens out in a place uh, where nobody would want to live because there's tombs around and they're raising pigs. And they hit the shore. Uh, this is the city of Hippos uh, that kind of looks down on all that. So archaeologists today think that probably the story uh, happens somewhere in this area. Has anyone been to Israel? Yes? Okay, thank you. 
You have. You didn't happen to go to Ein Gev and eat some good Peter's fish there, did you? All right, it's on the other side. It's just kind of a popular place to go. And it's, it's that area. Okay. All right. I want to talk to you about a life that is transformed. And uh, I'll not advance the slides here. So if the team back there can, can do that, I'd appreciate that. Good. A life that's transformed. A wonderful story about a man, first of all, who understands that he is in a hopeless situation. You cannot, a person cannot be truly transformed by Jesus until they understand how deeply they need Jesus. How deeply lost we really are. This man comes out of the tombs crying out, shrieking, and running to Jesus. You know, I think the, the, probably the purest prayers are the ones that aren't very beautiful. This man did come out, didn't come out shrieking and, and, and then get down on his knees and sort of respectfully worship Jesus. When as I said, I, I grew up on the King James Bible, and there's a line that says, uh, what hast thou to do with me? Something like that, Jesus, Son of God. And, and, and as a kid, I sort of picture like this, like a medieval uh, um, soldier, you know, with his, with his sword and his helmet, and he gets down on his knee, and he puts his sword there, you know, what hast thou to do with me, Jesus, Son of God? This man was shrieking to Jesus. And he'd been crying all along, every night, crying out. Who was he crying out to? In his torment, and in his pain, and his anguish, I can't help but think he was crying out to God. And our most desperate prayers are not very beautiful. Our most authentic prayers are just anguished cries God help me maybe said with sobs over the kitchen sink God help me maybe in excruciating pain in the delivery room <laughs> God help me maybe after a late night call from your adult child now you're shocked fully awake thinking God help us maybe driving home from getting a report at the doctor's office. Oh God, what are we going to do? Or maybe, guys, <laughs> white-knuckled with our hands on the steering wheel as the car slides to a gravel-crunching stop off the side of the road and you shout through your clenched teeth, Oh God, help me. That was the kind of prayer that this man was praying. I think that when he ran out of the tombs crying in the night, Someone heard his cries. Like someone hears every one of our cries. I think God heard him. And God sent his son from the other side of the lake to go help that man. And Jesus responded like the words of the old hymn. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. I don't know what your hopeless situation is. But Jesus knows what it is. And just like this man, we all have our tears, we all have our pain, we all have our fears. And we need Jesus. 
And the place where we really get help from Jesus is the place when we acknowledge, when we see that we really need him. A person truly transformed by Jesus is a person who, first of all, understands he is in a helpless situation. But secondly, he's radically changed. And this story talks about how the demons were simply cast out. And I think one of the most remarkable things about this story is we don't get really any description of the exorcism itself. Mark just kind of offhandedly says, and Jesus had said, you know, to the, to the demons, uh, how does it say it? Um, and he, and he had said, had said, he had, had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. It was the simplest thing. I mean, think if you met a demon-possessed person. And, 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 and as missionaries, we've heard, and you've heard missionary stories of maybe some real-life experiences of that. And what it would take to exercise a demon? What it would take to get that demon out? You know, for Jesus, it was no chore at all. He just says, get out. And the demons get out. And uh, I love how this man responds in his great need. He runs up to Jesus. The first thing he does is he, he kneels down. That, that As he throws himself on the ground, that is the very same word that's used over and over and over again for worship. In this story, it's kind of confusing who is the demon talking, and, or demons talking, and who is the man talking? The story kind of is ambiguous. You don't really know. You're not really sure when Jesus speaks, when, they, when the man speaks. Is it the man speaking? Is it the demon speaking? Well, at the point that Jesus meets them, they're one. The man is fully possessed by the demons. So when this man throws himself down at Jesus' feet, as the demons, that's what they were used to doing. These are spirits that have been in God's presence who were used to falling on their knees before Jesus. So their knee-jerk reaction is to fall on their knees before Jesus. But this man is falling. As a man, he falls before Jesus because he's pleading for help. And then he wants a relationship with Jesus. What have you to do with me, Jesus? I love this when I, I, I sort of went through it in the original languages. We, we, uh, for three years, we've been living in Greece and working in Greece. So we know a little Greek. And uh, we're not fluent, but we know a little bit. So it was enlightening to kind of read this story in Greek. And the man, as he shouts out, he says something very, very simple. He rushes to Jesus and he says, What, you and me? Ti, emikesi, in Greek. What, you and me? How do we translate that? So we translate in our Bible something, what hast thou to do with me, Jesus, Son of God? But he's just really got this abrupt shouting. He says, what, you and me? And Jesus goes toe-to-toe with him and says, in effect, yes, you and me. What's your name? So I love this story about a beautiful relationship that this man is developing with Jesus. And then finally, there's, there's a repentance here in this story. The word repentance is never used. But the New Testament word for, new, for repentance is metanoia, a change of mind. And in this story, we have the man who is shrieking and desperate and ripping off chains. To the end of the story, now he's, he's seated in his right mind having a conversation. 
So the whole story is just this beautiful picture of what repentance is as he, is, as he gets to the place where he's in his right mind because of what Jesus has done for him. He's no longer destructive. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's no longer naked. He's clothed with the robe of righteousness. He's no longer screaming like a madman, but he's talking normally to people. Jesus takes this man who's bound in shackles and he sets him free. He takes this person who is filled with evil spirits and fills him with the Holy Spirit. He takes the person who was wildly insane and, br and brings him to sit down in peace and be perfectly sane in his right mind. The man was taken out of the tombs by the man who walked out of the tomb. Jesus takes this man who is cutting himself with sharp stones and he heals the deepest hurt of his heart. He takes this person who begs, what, you and me? And causes him to say, please let me be with you. He takes this person who is howling and shrieking in the hills and sends him home with a message of comfort and restoration to his own family. And he can do all that with you too. Thirdly, the person who is truly formed, transformed by Jesus falls in love with the one who rescued him. This man who with a word was released from all the demons, was so overwhelmed with his freedom that he begs Jesus that he might be with him. From the moment Jesus had jumped out of the boat, this man's eyes were riveted on him, and fixing his eyes on Jesus causes and leads to a radical transformation. Have you had your radical transformation? <laughs> Have you fallen in love with Jesus? And if so, are you still in love with Jesus? One of the saddest letters in the book of the Revelation is the letter to the church at Ephesus. Oh, you're doing great things. This is one. Your doctrine is good. Your beliefs are right. You're doing great things. But Jesus says, I have something against you. You've left your first love. And when you leave your first love, pretty soon everything else starts to deteriorate. Jesus didn't change. If we lose our first love, what happened? Jesus doesn't change. So this is a man that loves Jesus. A person truly transformed by Jesus falls in love with that person who rescued him. Fourthly, this man is sent to his family and his friends in verse 19. And uh, Jesus says to him, go to your family and friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This is a great text for understanding who we're supposed to talk to. And he sends him to his uh, ekos in Greek, or as we might say here, oikos. Who likes yogurt? Nobody? Oh, there you go. Thank you. I got people. Do, have you heard of the Oikos yogurt? Yeah? Do you like that? I like, get the one with honey on it, because that's how they eat it in Greece for breakfast. Honey on that good Greek is excellent. But you'll notice if you get the uh, Oikos 
um, yogurt, it has accent over the I. So that's how you pronounce it. That's how we get economy and ecology from that same word that's on the yogurt package, right? So just a tip on how to pronounce it. But if you ask for it in the store, don't ask for ecos and don't ask for gyros, right, Mom? Yeah. Okay, so use the English pronunciation in commerce. But anyway, what is an ecos? What is an oikos? It's your family. It's your extended network. Now, Here in America, family means uh, my wife and I and our kids, you know. And then for the holidays and for vacation, that extends out to maybe our brothers and our sisters and mom and dad, right? So it gets a little bigger, but we have a very nuclear concept of what a family is. The Greeks have a very wide concept of what a family is. We, have, we also spend a lot of time in Italy. Wide concept of what a family is. You know, you, know, you watch the movies, right, about the mafia, you know. You could do anything you want, just never go against the family, right? The family. All right. So that's big, the family. Jesus is saying, think about your whole network of your family, the extended family, very important, And he had this network of family and included not just his family but his friends. So today, as we read this, go to your family, we need to think not just, well, my wife, my husband, my kids. No, think of the big picture. Who's the guy at work that I'm pretty close to? Who's my neighbor that we've had some good talks with? Who's the person down at the gym that every time we see each other we say hi and we catch up a little? That's your oikos. Right? That's your big extended group. And Jesus wanted to, to just go to his network first and start reaching those people. And the message had two simple points. Now, I love a few months ago here at um, Heritage, we did a project, Scott led a project called Jesus Changed My Life. Remember that, the short video clip, Jesus Changed My Life. Did anybody do that? Okay, I got some over here. All right, just a little quick little video, right? Jesus was saying, get your Jesus changed my life video ready. Very simple, what I, want to, what, what, you, what I want you to do. Jesus is sending this man out who'd never been to church, never been to Sunday school, never been to Bible Institute, never, been to, never had any training at all, and he says, you're going out as a missionary. Amazing. But he said, here's your message. Two simple things that I want you to share. Number one, Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Do you have a story of what Jesus has done for you? Well, I hope you do because Jesus wants to do something for you. He wants to do something very special for you. Tell people that story, what Jesus has done for you. And the second thing, tell them how he had mercy on you. Tell them how he had compassion on you. Tell why did Jesus do that? What did Jesus do for you, and why did he do it? Talk about your freedom and talk about his compassion. It's a simple story. Even a man who just walked out of the tombs and out of his shackles can share that story. Our God is a God who is not like Allah, who simply decrees things and then stands back and watches the world. Our God wants a personal and redemptive relationship with each one of us. So tell them what Jesus did and tell them why he did it. And finally three, 
obey what Christ asks you to do. This person who's truly transformed obeys what Christ asks him to do. This is a wonderful story how he goes out and he tells the story. And people hear about this. And he is in a Greek region of 10 Greek cities and people hear the stories. Now, I don't know I don't know, this is just conjecture, but I'm a student of the Bible and I study things and I'm just amazed at how all the pieces come together. But remember later in the book of Acts, Paul is on his way to Damascus to persecute who? The Christians there. And and when he goes there, he meets Ananias and F.F. Bruce, who's a New Testament scholar, says that Ananias didn't come from Jerusalem. So how did Ananias hear about Jesus? I just wonder if the testimony of this man that this story says goes throughout all of the Decapolis would have reached the Decapolis city of Damascus. Well, it's wonderful conjecture, but certainly his word did not return void. A wonderful gospel story of a man truly transformed by Jesus. How does this story speak to us today? Well, if you feel far from God, Jesus says, yes, you and me. Yes, you and me. And you may be thinking, as, you're, as you feel far from God, what, what, God, you and me? Jesus does want to have that personal relationship. When you cry out, if you're crying out in places where no one can hear you, God is hearing your cry. If you're afraid of demons and demonic power, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And most importantly, do you know people who are close to you but far from God? Maybe you think, you know, how, how's God ever going to talk to them? How's God ever going to talk to a, a Richard Dawson? How's God ever going to speak to a Muslim ISIS fighter? How's God ever going to reach my boss? There are people close to you, far from God. Maybe you shouldn't give up on them. Maybe they're also crying out in the night when they think no one hears them. Tell them of what Jesus did for you. Tell them why he did it. Tell them of the mercy that comes from above, Christ's sovereign, eternal, unchangeable love. Father in heaven, I ask that you might bless your people, bless your church, fill us with your uh, redemptive power. Fill us with peace for our fears, joy for our sorrows, and a voice for our cries. In Jesus' name, amen.